0: A farming program with our equipped Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate, Grantham. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts.
1: Last week saw British Sugar drawing much criticism with their announcement of a new contract price without agreement with NFU Sugar and leaving growers in the middle, confused and concerned. This week we give them the opportunity to have their say.
2: I think we've got uh, a strong offer with a minimum guaranteed uh, price at that £38 per tonne with uh, the potential for sugar pricing to be strong and the growers to receive more than that uh, next year when we know what that pricing looks like.
1: Here from Agriculture Director at British Sugar, Dan Green. Shortly, we'll talk turkeys and rural tourism. Is it something to look at for your farm?
0: 42% of farms are unprofitable without the basic payment scheme support. The decision to diversify is often triggered by the need to provide an increased and more stable income.
1: Plus, agronomy advice, the markets and the weather for the week ahead.
3: The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello,
1: welcome to the online podcast edition of the Farming Programme with more of the Week in Agriculture. Hope you've had a good week. I'm Steve Orchard. In the news this week, a new report says that global commodity prices are set for respite in 2024 after three years of record highs caused by war, adverse weather and rising input costs. Rabobank predicts that the price of key food staples will fall as producers have some time to adjust to higher prices, bringing down costs for buyers and in some cases consumers too. They're still predicting demand to be weak though as consumers continue to deal with economic challenges, including high inflation and interest rates. An emergency authorisation for three maize seed treatments. Corrit, Redigo M and Force has been given the green light by the HSE. This is for maize grown in 2024. A consultation over the possible introduction of a digital passport for combinable crops will launch next week. In essence, it's a simple change, switching from pieces of paper currently carried with each load to a digital system. The consultation starts tomorrow, Monday, 20th of November, and lasts until the 2nd of February next year. More details from AHDB. And we have yet another DEFRA secretary following last week's cabinet reshuffle. Steve Barkley replaces Therese Coffey. Now I think it's about time to get the sprouts on. Just five weeks tomorrow, most of us will be sitting down to enjoy a festive lunch on Christmas Day. Will it be turkey for you? Philip Mowbray from TT Turkeys in Woodhall Spa, Lincolnshire. How's things in the turkey world this year?
3: Well, supplies looking good. The rear was really good. Yes, things have come a bit wet now and it's just straw, straw, straw to keep them uh, clean and dry. Bird flu's kept away this year. It's gone back to more of a seasonal-looking uh, problem, like it does do most years, apart from the last two, where it's come in early and, and hit hard. So, all, all looking good so far.
1: And how are prices uh, are... looking for Christmas, then?
3: Uh, we, we've only, just and just with how things have been this last year, and we know everything's got up, and we have to try and keep in line with our electricity bill, our gas bill, our feed prices and everything else. But we've just gone an absolute minimum that we can get away with this year to try and look after our loyal customers.
1: And has this NFU campaign affected you, this buy direct from the farm campaign?
3: I think more and more so, people realise the value of knowing where the food's come from rather than purchasing from the supermarket. And for this one special meal of the season where people tend to get together with family and friends, then they do always seem to go that extra mile to source something quality for that special lunch on Christmas Day.
1: And talking of quality, you said supply's fine. Is quality up to previous standards?
3: Yeah, so far so good. Uh, The birds look really, really well. They do tend to uh, look at the old wet stuff coming down every morning uh, and they are enjoying the straw probably more than other years but the shed door's always open for them to free range and when the sun comes out the shed soon empties and they soon pick about at the grass paddocks.
1: All right, Philip, Philip Mowbray from TT Turkeys. I'll be the first to say a happy Christmas and thanks for joining us on the farming programme once again.
3: You're very welcome. All the very best.
1: Now, as I'm sure you know by now, British Sugar has incurred the wrath of NFU Sugar and many others by going straight to growers with an offer of £38 a tonne for the 24-25 crop, despite a lack of agreement in their negotiations with NFU Sugar. Our crop doctor, Sean Sparling, commented on this last week on the farming programme, so I invited British Sugar Agriculture Director Dan Green to come on and give us his reply. Dan, the floor is yours. Where are we from British Sugar's viewpoint now?
2: Uh, So we have uh, been negotiating with NFU Sugar since uh, May of this year and we are still uh, in a negotiation process. At this point in the year, growers would normally have a price announcement and um, it's already well beyond the point where they're making those cropping decisions and a number of growers have been calling for us to release uh, the price and the contract so that they can have certainty uh, and, and make those plans final for cropping for next year.
1: Why is it so late coming up with a price for this year then? Why, why have the negotiations not kind of followed their normal pattern?
2: Well I think so negotiations um, are following the the normal process uh, and actually the process uh, has been around for a long time uh, and stems all the way back from when the quota system was in place pre-2017. It hasn't changed uh, since then and the negotiation process can run all of the way uh, with a price announcement being as late as september of the year in which the beet's going to be processed so it would have already been planted that's that's the latest it could possibly be but i think it just proves that this this process that we have is is not really fit for purpose and doesn't suit the industry it doesn't suit sales it doesn't suit growers so it needs modernizing um because uh we need something that works for everybody
1: okay so why haven't you actually agreed a price
2: um, I think it comes down to a different difference in views between the two parties. We've done a number of things. Um, we we've got a very uh, good price that um, is, is on the table. It's a minimum guaranteed price with a market linked bonus. And we believe that that would deliver between 20 and 25 percent margin uh, for a grower, which compared to many of the other choices that they've had in their property rotations is very good uh, and attractive margin. Clearly, NFU Sugar have got a position um, and you know we, we have a different sort of opinion on that and some of the terms and conditions attached to the the contract. So this negotiation process has taken some time.
1: How was the price of £38 per tonne arrived at? Um, it seems to be lower than the world price of sugar. Costs have gone up and so on. It seems to be a drop on the face of it.
2: We do a lot of work to understand uh, growers' costs with independent consultants looking at what the cost of growing crop is. Uh, last year when we did that work and um, came out with a price of £40 pounds a tonne, that was a 48% increase in price. We again do that work this year. We um, believe that as a result of doing that work that, that uh, some of the key input costs like fertiliser have gone down considerably and that actually the cost of growing um, is slightly reduced. Uh, Therefore, the price that we've got out there, the minimum guaranteed price of 38, is comparable with the margins that were delivered at £40 per tonne last year. That's the floor price. There's also the opportunity, uh, if sugar prices remain strong and and are strong in in next year, and we don't know where those prices are going to be yet, uh, there's the opportunity that the price could be at, at the £40 level or Or even higher than that, if, if um strong sugar pricing is maintained through into twenty four twenty five. So
1: you say negotiations are are not complete. What's the next step? how How is this going to be resolved? or is this that's that's the deal, thirty eight pound a ton, plus bits and pieces, take it or leave it, Or is there actually some more negotiation
2: to be done? well we we have an offer that growers can choose to sign up to to for certainty. Um, but we continue the negotiation process with NFU Sugar and whatever is agreed, um, they will have a choice whether to stay on what they've signed up to today um, or whatever the agreement is that's made with the NFU um, as and when we get there.
1: Okay, and they've been talking about getting DEFRA involved in this and so on.
2: Um, we're aware that they have written to DEFRA, um, but but DEFRA, I think, have responded and and. said that there is a well-established process for this and that we should continue with that process Um, my view is that we we are still engaged in that process we want to get back around the table and continue negotiations with nfu sugar uh, in order to um, get to a resolution and get a price uh, and agreed price out to growers
1: are there plans to get back around the table
2: um we we would love to get back around the table with nfu sugar we've recently received some correspondence from nfu sugar um, we're just digesting that, and then we will uh, make contact with them.
4: So
1: hopefully, you'll get back uh, around the table and get the get the matter sorted. Why is there a clause in there that restricts working hours of farm staff who grow beet? What's that got to do with British Sugar?
2: So uh, British Sugar is is part of uh, ABF, and ABF have a a global um, ethical. Um, Set of uh, standards, a, a code of conduct, um, and within that, there are some references to working hours. It's something that we need to agree with NFU Sugar uh, in terms of a way forward for our industry. So, I think we have to ensure that it, as an industry, we're acting responsibly. The interprofessional agreement that we currently have has a number of references in there already to things like uh, modern slavery, for example. And obviously, we we want to work then I few sugar to reach an agreement on um, what we do have as an industry that um, is workable for the industry and um, you know protects everybody within it.
1: So you feel that British Sugar has a responsibility in this area.
2: Our customers um, and we um, both need to demonstrate uh, um, that we are managing that responsibly.
1: Dan, before we close, would you just summarise British Sugar's position in all this as we stand at the moment?
2: I think we've got uh, a strong offer with a minimum guaranteed uh, price uh, at that £38 per tonne with uh, the potential for sugar pricing to be strong and for growers to receive more than that uh, next year when we know what that pricing looks like. You know, we want to continue to negotiate with NFU, come to an agreement and um, yeah, we've given growers choice um, so they can decide what they want to do.
1: All right, Dan, Dan Green, Agriculture Director at British Sugar. Many thanks indeed for joining us on the farming programme this morning thank you. To independent agronomist Sean Sparling, Sparling Agronomy Services then. Morning Sean, what's your response to all that?
5: Morning Steve, honestly I think if I was a grower I would wait until NFU Sugar told me it was a good deal. Growing costs have rocketed the risks because of extreme dry or equally extreme wet weather conditions at drilling and through spring establishment are a massive issue, it's been all of those things this year. Weather conditions at harvest, remember the frost damage we had in last year's crop, with uncertainties surrounding the derogation for near use every year and the potential virus damage. Herbicide costs have doubled. There's no such thing as cheap herbicide mixes now and we have to apply three or four of those mixes at least in order to combat what are increasingly difficult to control weeds. All the active substances have dramatically increased in price over the last two seasons. Disease control costs have almost trebled because we've lost the cheaper actives and we now have to use much more expensive products to control diseases like Cercospora when they come in. And British sugar, of course, encourage growers to to apply three applications of those expensive fungicides. And to cap it all, 40 quid may well have been a 48% increase on the beet price last year, but that 40 quid is where we should be starting because of all these variables and because it's been way too low for way too long. So no, I personally don't think it's a good offer at the moment based upon all of those things and the risks involved to the grower. And to be reducing the price at all where the world's sugar price sits, which is completely considerably higher than it was when British Sugar were offering £40 a tonne. So no, I wouldn't sign that contract as it is but then it's not my decision is it so with conditions such as they are and there has been some ploughing and drilling done this week and with wheat after sugar beet mostly but apart from those situations the rain in the week has left us pretty much where we were this time last week so clearly demand for spring crop seed is going to be very high and there will therefore be increased interest in using home safe seed and do remember that home safe seed needs to have been saved from your own holding and has to be declared to the British Society of Plant Breeders so obviously unless it's been overwintered from last year or unless it was grown on the farm last year it's going to be pretty difficult to explain where it's come from. I'm just saying there will be somebody at some point who's made an example of, so for the sake of making sure you know what you're doing, don't let that someone be you. Where later drilling of winter wheat is now unlikely to be possible, it is of course important you think about your rotation when you move forward, as well as thinking about the cropping for this year, and because of that it's easier to try and keep the proportion of cereals to break crops, similar to how you would normally do it. Mind you, if you replace a second wheat crop with a break crop, for example, that may be beneficial in some circumstances, like it would allow a higher proportion of first wheat to go in the ground next year. It's not just as simple as bunging in whatever comes to hand. Think about all the implications to your future rotation. Obviously, spring wheat is a good alternative in the rotation for winter wheat. It'll yield less than winter wheat. Although the nitrogen requirements will be similar, the herbicide and the fungicide cost are going to be considerably reduced, and that gives a good potential for a reasonable return. It tends to be easier to achieve protein levels for milling premiums with spring wheats as well, so those premiums can also help boost the margin. One of the biggest problems with spring wheat, apart from variability in the quality which most spring crops seem to suffer from, particularly in the seasons we've had, and hot dry weather which jiggers up establishments such as we've seen for the last couple of springs is that because it's more open-flowered, spring wheat tends to be much more susceptible to ergot than winter wheat, often in the absence of grass weeds, and that often results in load rejections and the need for colour sorting prior to delivery to take out the majority of that ergot, and that brings its own additional cost. Winter barley or second wheat crops could be replaced with spring barley on many farms, especially where there's a demand on-farm or locally for barley or barley straw for livestock. Spring barley can obviously be drilled relatively late into the spring, and that is a reasonable, fit even on the heavier land. Spring triticale, also an option. Seed supply may well be an issue, it usually is. Triticale more drought resistant than wheat and that tends to perform better on some of the more marginal land. Spring oats, they're a take-all break of course and they can in some years perform better than some other options in a late spring drilling situation. So they can be useful on the heavier soil types where the early drilling is unlikely but yield, quality, establishment and of course prices can all be very variable with spring oats and with such a Limited market. it's very easy to oversupply that market. We said last week winter beans can be drilled in the spring, they can even be spread on and ploughed in now, of course. And as well as propizomide, penimethylene, clomazone, mazamox we now have a clonifen in Emerger as a herbicide option. It's been given approval for use in pulses. A clonifen, wide variety of, of weeds it has activity on, broadleaf weeds, grass weeds, so it'll be a very useful option, particularly as herbicides are currently so limited, as we keep saying, in beans. And if you do get winter beans, in, reassess the seeds per square metre that you're drilling and start increasing them upwards from 25 to more realistic numbers as you go. Speak to your advisor about seed rate. Winter beans need to be in at least three inches deep as well to protect the seed itself from frost damage. So if you do put them in, put them in deep enough. Oil seed rate, water logging has finished off some fields now, but those fields that got away well initially are continuing to grow pretty well and it's generally now quite obvious which crops are still going to be viable. At this time of year I think it's worth discussing winter stem weevil with your agronomist. Whether winter weevil damage has been a problem in the area recently, the potential control options etc. Rate winter stem weevil tend to respond better to pyrethroid treatment. Easy to confuse rate winter stem weevil and cabbage stem flea beetle larvae though. The larvae both burrow into the stem of the plant and they cause similar damage but if it's got legs it's cabbage stem flea beetle. If it's got a head and no legs and curls into a C shape on your hand it's rate winter stem weevil. It's possible to tank mix insecticides with fungicides or herbicide applications of course depending upon when you're going to do that and there is no established threshold for rate winter stem weevil treatment so decisions do need to be based on past experience and local history. Ground conditions, soil temperatures, all generally still too high for propizomide applications and treatment should obviously be avoided where the drains are running and the soils are waterlogged even if spraying were possible far too warm at the moment. Slugs still a problem although more problems I think can be attributed to the wet than to the slugs lots going on and all of these things add together so keep your eyes open and treat slugs whether it's in all rape or cereals if they pose a threat if aphids can be found by the way in all rape or cereals treat accordingly but it's now very unlikely you'll get many more winged aphids moving into cereals so any virus is likely to be already in if it's in there but it'll not be at risk of spreading around now much before they come back as winged aphids in the spring what I'm saying is if you can't get onto the field to spray if it's already got virus in it you you're not going to stop it from getting any worse for now anyway. And if you've got outstanding tickets, by the way, for pre and cereals and the crop is now post them, or it will be by the time you can travel, just check with your advisor in case he needs to make changes to those wrecks. A, a Clonifem, for example, only recommended prem. Apart from that, absolute piece of cake. Let's see what the next seven days bring.
1: Thanks as ever, Sean. Sean Sparling back same time next week on The Farming Programme podcast where coming up we look at the diversification opportunities from rural tourism, check the markets and get the weather forecast for the week to
0: come. The Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders with Umbrook Industrial
6: Estate Grantham supplying the region for over 40 years.
1: I'm sure in these challenging times for agriculture, almost every farmer and landowner has at some stage looked at diversifying their business in some way to improve income. Land and property expert Savills, as part of their Spotlight series of articles, have in the last few days looked at rural tourism and leisure as a potential area of opportunity. Director and Head of Rural Research at Savills, Kelly Houston fisher can you summarise the report for us?
0: So last month, the Savills Rural Research team produced their Rural Tourism and Leisure Spotlight. So our spotlights are when we take a bit of a deeper look into a topic or a theme And so for October, we looked at rural tourism and leisure. Um, The information is available on Savile's Rural Knowledge Hub. So if you Google Savile's Rural Knowledge Hub, you'll be able to find all of our spotlights. But the output really is looking at diversification for farm businesses. Um, so the DEFRA stat um, that we've quoted within there is that 42% of farms are unprofitable without the basic payment scheme support. And as we know, we're going through that period of agricultural transitioning. We're coming into dealing linked payments and what does that actually look like for income. So it's the decision to diversify is often triggered by the need to provide an increased and more stable income from the farm or estate.
1: Okay and there are numerous ways we could do this. I was at the um, Farm Business Innovation Show the other day and I bumped into one of the co-authors Joe Lloyd and we were talking about various various ways you can diversify your income stream. There was lots of opportunities at the Farm Business Innovation Show. Are there any more Popular than others, or does it really depend on the farm itself and its location, etc.?
0: Yeah, that's quite a, um, a a large question there, Stephen, itself, isn't it? And trying to break that down. I mean, firstly, to say that there has been an increase in diversification from farms. So during 2022, again, some definite stats say that approximately 51% of farmers earned some form of income from a diversified enterprise, which had increased from the 10 years before, um, which was at 33%. So there is a shift to looking at diversification itself. As you say, there is a real range of what that looks like. Um, So the range and the types of diversification have increased, certainly. And a lot of that has been driven by um, market demands. So looking at things like technology, so how the internet has played its part and its role within that diversification so, we can start looking at things like providing contracting services, for example, to other farmers, letting land for specialist crops, for example, or producing an alternative crop, or looking at shortening the supply chain. Or we can start to look at other assets that are available across the farm business or across the estate and looking at agritourism. So, for example, um, transformation of farm buildings, whether that be for commercial lets or whether it be for B&Bs or on-farm stays, then looking at at farm shops um, and farm experiences. Certainly what our research found was that it's certainly moving towards the ability to provide an experience and that focuses on whether um, that's sort of well-being experience, that's social value. And also the case studies that we used um, really looked at how they can build upon their already diversified enterprise. You know, it's like business in itself. Um, one of the quotes in the, in the report is, without expansion, the most well-conceived and thoroughly considered businesses can plateau, stagnate and even decline. And I, I really like that sort of sentence in terms of we've got to continually look at what we're providing, how we're providing it um, and ensure that it is actually um, doing what it needs to do. Because
1: there is a tendency to think of diversion as, well, we'll get a field full of yurts or shepherd's huts or we'll maybe get a milk vending machine. But there's an awful lot more that can be done. Uh, is there anything in particular that's kind of trending or in demand at the moment?
0: If there was a um, a silver bullet to all of this, we'd all be doing it. I think it really is about a your market research. So actually undertaking that research to understand, um, you know, what's out there in your vicinity, in your location, and looking at what assets you have within the business. And they're not just, um, you know, the buildings, the land, etc., but also resources, skills, people. You know, what what do you have that you can utilise and re- really drive efficiency and effectiveness through, um, as I say, to to sort of support the resilience of the business.
1: Yeah, because again, thinking of things like accommodation, B&Bs, that took a real big hit, of course, because of COVID.
0: It did. And again, if you look at the case studies that we've got within the report itself, we've got four great case studies. Um, And in particular, if I focus on Uncle Henry's, because we are in Lincolnshire at uh, Grayingham there. So Emma Blandford spoke to my colleagues and what they're going to, to focus on going forward is providing that seasonality of events. So they've really you know, seen that they, if they sort of capitalize and capture the seasonality, they can look to increase the footfall through their um, diversified enterprises and also dog friendly activities. So they've um, obviously looked at the market themselves, look, undertaken maybe some market research, but. They see that as something that they're going to focus on as well going forward. So I do think it's about location, um, about the assets that you have available um, and, um, you know, what what is available in the vicinity already. And is there a gap in the market that you can fulfill?
1: And there's far more to diversifying than just saying we'll open up whatever it may be. You've got to actually provide, as you say, an experience. You've got to provide something to get people on the farm in the first place. No good just opening up a field full of yurts and waiting for people to come through the door.
0: Absolutely. And again, within the report itself, we do provide some really good guidance on what to look at. So there's um, numerous points um, to consider when um, diversifying marketing, um, people itself, you know, are you able to actually manage the number of visitors that you think you're going to get? Um, So the infrastructure, the finance, the funding, have you undertaken those cash flows to look at what finance is required? And then we also provide sort of our top 10, of looking at how to create a visitor destination and some of those points are, are really good as well in terms of can you collaborate with other businesses so again going back to Uncle Henry's they've certainly collaborated with others in their shop so being able to provide um, you know different you know bits and pieces that you can go in you know you can buy gifts but there's a butchery there as well and the cafe and there's um things there for children you know the play areas for children so I think it's certainly looking within the with within our report itself and taking that guidance.
1: I bumped into the British Farming Awards winner of diversification and said, what is your guidance? What's your tip, if you like, for somebody who's considering diversifying or going into a different line of business? And their prime bit of advice was keep your eye on the numbers, you know, treat this as a business, not just a bit of a hobby. Otherwise you're gonna fall into problems potentially.
0: Yeah. I mean, like like we said, you know, looking at the funding itself, it, you know, the diversified enterprise has to stack up. You know, you're doing this potentially because you're trying to create an additional income into the farm. You know, maybe because, as, as we said at the beginning, BPS payments um, are looking to decrease up till 2027 when they will be zero. So you're looking at how you can generate that income into the business. So the numbers have to stack up.
1: And what is this rural vibrancy index? That sounds rather interesting can you explain what that is and how the index is going
0: Yeah, so the Savills Rural Vibrancy Index, um, it it actually tracks some of the key influences on um, farm tourism and leisure enterprises. And what it aims to do is to give a comparative indication of the strength of rural tourism and leisure over time. So um, the report itself um, looks at the data from 2022. So it states that overall rural vibrancy improved in 2022, um, but that was underpinned by strong on-farm performance Performances with these diversified businesses playing you know a, a part in that success. So it'll be interesting going forward as we continue collecting data for this rural vibrancy index, how that plays out as a, as we've said, particularly in light of reductions in BPS.
1: Kelly, this is a very interesting, a very in-depth report on rural tourism and leisure. What would you say are the top three takeaways from the report?
0: Yep, number one. As basic payments scheme support fades, farm and estate diversification builds business resilience. Number two, future proof existing rural tourism and leisure businesses by expanding the offer with new events, experiences, or attractions. And finally, number three, remain aware of the macro themes that are driving consumer demand, such as sustainability, well-being and in-person experiences.
1: Okay, great. And where could we go to read the report to find out more?
0: Savills Rural Knowledge Hub. So if you just punch that into Google, you'll come up with all of our spotlight reports. Uh, What we also produce is a bi-weekly Landscope newsletter, which is actually an update on policy as well, which you can subscribe to, uh, which is very helpful in these challenging times.
1: All right, Kelly Houston Fisher from Savills. Thank you so much for joining us on the farming programme again.
0: Thank you
6: very
1: much. Links FM Farming, Market Reports. Starting with livestock and from Mason's Rural at Louth Livestock Market, Henry Simpson. Good morning, Henry. Good morning, Stephen. welcome
4: to the weekly roundup from the Louth Livestock Market. Starting off the Prime Cattle, the Prime Steer saw an oil and average of 267.7 pence per kilo, and a Prime Heifer saw an oil and average of 265.5 pence per kilo. Top of the day with a steer, which goes to John Scolley at bomber to £1,707 per head or 284 pence per kilo. And topping the heifers go to J.E. Thirlby of Gainsborough to 265 pence per kilo or £1,300 pounds per head. Now moving on to the cool cows, this week saw an all in average of 108.84 pence per kilo, with top of the day go to DC, DM, and S. Fussy to Toft next Newton to £1,236 pounds per head or £140 pence per kilo. Now moving on to the lambs, which saw a tremendous trade with 314 lambs forward saw so an SQQ of 267.64 pence per kilo and an oil average of 261.16 pence per kilo. Top of the day goes to H. Smith and son of Stedlethorpe to £150 per head and also to A.J. Coulson son of Osgoodby to 308 pence per kilo. Moving on to the Cool ewes 100 entered this week, saw so an average per head of £70.82 pence. with top to N. Lovesey with a Beltex Ram to £186 per head and to H-Smith and Son to 131 pounds per head for a year just a handful of store lambs entered this week with 13 forward with a mixed show all around so an average per head of 47 pounds and eight pence with a top price of 76 pounds per head going to N love a big thank you to everyone that supports the market week in week out we are selling again tomorrow it is our store cattle week so we are taking entries to all prime cull and store cows as well as prime cull and store sheep so please don't hesitate to contact edward middleton on the usual market number just another reminder, a week on Monday on the 27th of November, it is our fat stock show and sale and deadlines for that close on Thursday. That is Thursday the 23rd of November. This has been Henry Simpson and Mason Drill Team. Thank you. Thanks, Henry. And with a look at the grey markets,
1: Open Field's Alice Killam. Morning, Alice.
6: Good morning, Steve. Following a strong start to the week, we've had two days where we've retreated back again. In truth, the whole market has seen a sell-off, led as per normal by the US markets. But if you look at where we finished in the UK on Thursday evening at 199 for May 24, this is just below the centre of this 195 to 205 spread that we've been trading in for what seems like months. The two fresh stories globally in the last couple of days have centred around grain flow from the Black Sea and a changing weather forecast in South America. Starting with the Black Sea, the chat of the trade over the last couple of weeks has been about the cost of freight increasing in the region with the conflict showing few signs of abating. Whilst this may be true, one of the other costs, insurance, has received a shot in the arm from March, Lloyds of London, who plan to reduce costs associated with this part of the transaction. Of course, the devil will be in the detail, as with most insurance, but on a broader level, the trade sees this as good news and reduces the risk of supply stopping completely in a worst-case scenario. On to South American weather, we have seen an easing of concerns from earlier in the week on the back of some wetter weather which is forecast next week in Brazil. As we all know from experience, not every weather forecast is as accurate as we'd like them to be, and this seven-day forecast may not come to fruition at all, but expect to see a lot of weather watching in South America in the coming weeks. In the last 24 hours, we've seen one of our lifelines for Virgo grind to a halt. They've been stopped now for a couple of days, and it is rumoured that they will likely shut for the rest of the month for maintenance. Clearly, we must all hope that this is indeed a temporary blip. These two ethanol plants and the starch plant nearby, in the absence of any export activity, is what is likely to keep our balance sheet tight and will ultimately keep our values from dropping away. Let's hope that this story settles over the coming days, but this, alongside the unresolved RED paperwork required from January 24, still casts a shadow over what might happen in the new year, one to watch in the next couple of weeks. Malting barley, like milling wheat, remains at multi-year highs. We are seeing some issues in store though with infestation. I think this could get tight at the end of the season, but don't get too brave. Storing malting barley is not like storing milling wheat. It is certainly not for everyone. Leading from this, though we'd naturally expect to see a big barley crop going into the ground, this does not necessarily mean that premiums will be on the floor. There are already some values for autumn 24 being spoken about which may be of interest for some. Feed barley, though easier to sell on a boat than feed wheat, is not far behind it. Spot barley is almost impossible. There is some interest into the Jan March position, so we may have to look towards this in the coming weeks to keep things moving. Wheat is tight, but we will definitely need to export some barley at some stage, something that we'll need to be aware of. Rapeseed, which had up until about 4pm Wednesday, had a good little run. To be fair, the weekly export numbers this week for US soybeans were very good, so we gained €6 in the last hour or so of trading, but it's been a hard end to the week after a little promise. Guide prices for this week, circa Friday morning. Feed week, December 175 to 185, February 180 to 190, November 24, 195 to 205, with Group 1 milling premium still holding between £60 and £70 feed barley december 150 to 160 and may 165 to 175 Finally, this week, all seed rape December 350 to 360 and May 360 to 370. As usual, please call for firm values.
1: Thanks, Alice.
3: The Farming Programme. Five day forecast.
1: After a damp start, a drier, breezy week, gusty southwesterlies in the 20s MPH today with some light rain and patchy sunshine. Heavier rain for Monday, highs just in double figures, staying breezy but more from the northwest. The rest of the week will be mostly dry, a mild Thursday, but otherwise turning colder for the end of the week with overnight frosts and winds gusting into the mid-40s MPH. Next week on The Farming Programme podcast, we'll look at a methane-powered tractor and see what's on at this year's crop tank. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a great week.
0: The Farming Programme,
1: with Araquip steel stockholders,
3: Withambrook Industrial Estate Grantham,
0: BSI ISO 9001
3: accredited.